We've got a challenging question from Peter, a challenging teaching from Jesus, which he follows up with a parable. He illustrates with a, with a parable today in Matthew chapter 18. It's all, about, it's all about human relationships today. You see, I think, church, we need to be honest with ourselves and, 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 and acknowledge the fact, just name the fact that any human relationship requires a little bit of give and take, doesn't it? Our, our earthly human relationships, when you think about it, are all actually based on our willingness to extend grace to each other. They, every relationship, whether it's just a passing sort of uh, someone on the street or, or maybe a work colleague or even in, in marriage, someone in your church, there's a bit of give and take required. A bit of grace is, is required in all of our relationships. I'm not just talking about when big wrongs are done, when you experience betrayal or, or, or hurt. I mean, just even just the... Just the ordinary little everyday kind of things. Any sort of relationship is really based on our, on our willingness to extend and forgiveness and indeed to accept it. If we want our relationships to last over the long haul, then we must be willing to extend some grace and forgiveness to those around us. But as we all know, it can be, it can be hard at times. Uh, exhibiting grace can be difficult. Uh, showing forgiveness can be can be costly. Uh, forgiveness is one of those aspects of the, the human condition that we, we most uh, enjoy but least employ. We love it. receiving forgiveness. We find it tough to extend it at times. See, forgiveness doesn't seem, it doesn't seem natural, doesn't it? It doesn't quite seem right a lot of the time. It doesn't seem fair a lot of the time, does it? We have this innate sense of, of justice that needs to be vindicated. Uh, we, we, have, we have a set of scales in our mind. We want them to be balanced. We want everything to be in equilibrium. I think sometimes we take accounting practices and apply them in our relationships. For every debit, there must be a, a credit. Well, in our text today, Jesus upends this type of mathematical, formulaic thinking in our relationships. Let's have a look at our Bibles. We're in Matthew chapter 18, going to be reading from verse 21 uh, through to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, or 10,000 talents, was bought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins or a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Church, let's pray. A difficult teaching, Father, this morning. We pray that you might help us to understand it, help us to apply it, we pray. We don't seek to be simply hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. Help us to put this into practice in our lives. We pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard and all the people said. Amen. So, Pete comes up to Jesus with a bit of a question, wanting to know how many times, how long do I have to keep putting up with this bloke? How long should I keep on forgiving my brother who is sinning against me? We don't really know what Peter was thinking. Maybe he was talking about his actual brother, Andrew, of course. If you know the, the Gospels, you know that Peter and Andrew are two fishermen. Maybe Peter was thinking of his actual literal brother, Andrew. Maybe Andrew had borrowed Peter's donkey and crashed it, or he'd borrowed his camel and bought it back empty. Uh, maybe he borrowed some shekels for a big night out in the town in Galilee and, and didn't repay him. Maybe Peter was getting frustrated with his little brother, Andrew, we don't know what it was, um, but basically what Peter was wanting Jesus to do here was for Jesus to put some mathematical limits on grace. He wanted to be able to define grace, to be able to say, right, that's it, I'm seeking vengeance. When, can, when am I able to say, I've had enough of you, I'm cutting you loose, you need to pay back what I owe you, and I'm, I'm seeking a vengeance for all that you have, have done to me. Now, before Jesus could even give an answer, Pete actually makes his own suggestion. He actually seeks a, gives his own answer to his own question. He says seven times. Now, you need to understand that at this point, Peter thinks that he's being uh, quite the forgiving kind of fellow. Peter, at this stage, is actually kind of puffing out his chest by suggesting seven times because... In his day, the, the rabbis would suggest, well, you got to forgive the person who sins against you three times. And after that, then you can seek vengeance. So Peter is doubling it and then adding another one for good measure and saying, seventh time? He's puffing his chest out. He thinks he's being quite forgiving, quite gracious. But Jesus, as he so often does, just pulls the rug out from underneath us. He tells Peter, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, depending on how we read the, the translation. Well, Peter couldn't believe his ears. You can sort of imagine him getting out his pocket abacus, 70 times seven. The 490 times, Lord! That's outrageous! Now, I don't think Jesus is suggesting here that you keep account that you get 398, 300, 300. 
Only 190 to go. I don't think that's what Jesus is suggesting here. I think Jesus is just suggesting that you just need to keep on going, being forgiving, keep on being gracious. I have to say, if, uh, if Carly was keeping track, I've been married for 25 years now, if she, if she only allotted me my 490 forgiveness tokens, I think my account would already be well overdrawn. I think I would already be uh, well and truly in, in debt. So I think what Jesus is, is saying here, he's saying just don't keep count. I think if you were actually in the business of keeping a tally, you'd lose count and you'd actually just get into the habit of forgiving anyway, wouldn't you? And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. So because this is difficult for us, because we often find forgiving those who wrong us hard and we have this innate sense of justice and we want, we want righteousness to be done, it's a difficult concept. It can be hard at times. Jesus followed up this teaching with, with a parable. He tells a story about a man who owes the king 10,000 talents of gold. Depending on the translation, bags of gold. It's more close. It's 10,000 talents of gold. Now, the first thing you need to understand about this number is that it is an incredibly large amount of money. Now, I know in your head, you probably even heard a minister or two speak on this. Yeah, I know. Pete, he's talking about millions of dollars. No, no, he's not talking millions. We're talking billions. We're talking hundreds of billions of dollars. We are talking national debt kind of numbers here. To put it in perspective for you, King David, the mighty King David, the loftiest, most powerful king in all of Israel's history, uh, when they went, he wanted to build the temple. He donated, his son ended up building it. He donated 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of silver. So we are talking about nation-building kind of numbers. Imagine the nation's biggest project that the, the prime minister wants to announce and all the hundreds of billions of dollars that might be needed for it. That is the sort of money that this fellow has been forgiven. So he's probably not the king's butler or valet. He's probably not the chauffeur of the king's chariot. This guy is probably more likely the national treasurer. That's the sort of numbers that Jesus is using here. 10,000 talents. It's an obscene amount of money that we're, we're dealing with here. So in verse 26, uh, the servant begs um, for a chance to, to repay the dead. He throws himself upon the king's, the king's mercy. Begs for more time. He's like, but friends, I need you to understand, this is never going to happen. In a hundred lifetimes, he's never going to be able to repay this amount of money. You could sell yourself into slavery in those. You could sell yourself and your family into slavery as a means of recovering debt. It, it, we think of slavery these days as sort of the, the Atlantic slave trade. Back in Jesus' day, it was a different, different sort of a concept. You'd actually be quite a well-to-do slave. You would sell yourself into slavery and work off your debt. Um, but even selling himself and his family wouldn't barely touch the sides of this sort of debt that this man owes the king. He's never going to be able to repay what he owes the king. So, in an extraordinary 
extraordinary act of graciousness. The king wipes the slate clean. The king says, all right, I'll forgive you. This is an extraordinary act of forgiveness. This comes at huge personal cost to the king. By allowing this debt, this huge debt to go unpaid, the king is greatly impoverishing his treasury. In fact, really you would think that the king is actually kind of putting his own kingdom at risk. He's putting his own rule at risk by writing off this huge amount of debt. He's absorbed this cost himself. This debt doesn't just disappear into thin air. Someone has to pay for it. The king is taking it on. The king is writing off the debt. He's, he's basically forgetting about it. He's absorbing this cost himself. Now, to give you an example from my own life, you can insert one. I'm sure you can all think times when you've been forgiven. When I was young and stupid, as opposed to being old and stupid, uh, my family car was a Tarago. Do you remember Taragos, Toyota Taragos? We had a family, we had a Tarago growing up. I rolled the family Tarago. I was on my P's, still at school. It was wet, and I foolishly, because I was young and stupid, was driving it like a rally car. And coming my way home down, down Arcadia Road, there's a lovely banked corner, a lovely sort of right hander. Love hanging the tail out on a Tarago. I mean, how stupid. Driving it like a rally car. Anyway, it was wet, and it got a little bit too sideways. I was used to getting a little bit sideways. I could bring it back. A little bit too sideways, and I'm opposite lock at this stage. I'm opposite full lock, and it's still drifting sideways. At this stage, I start to panic. This is, this is not good. And I'm full opposite lock, waiting for, this, for the front wheels to catch. Finally, they bit. And the car just flipped around 180 degrees. I'm frantically trying to get opposite lock, but it's too late. And the car rolled. I actually rolled a Tarago. I was unhurt, praise God. I had to climb out the sonnet side. I had to climb out the passenger side window. I'd been for a job interview. I'm in a suit. And some other blokes came and actually managed to sort of push the car back. The point of the story is I was a school student. I had no way of paying for the family car that needed repairing. My parents had to absorb that cost. So I had to pay for the repair, or they had to pay for a replacement for a family car, or we would have had to have gone without. My point is, me rolling the Tarago had, had a cost to somebody. I was not able to repay it, so mum and dad had to just simply absorb that cost into the family budget. Perhaps you can think of a time when you just were in a position where you had to be throwing yourself on someone's mercy. It might not even be financial. It might be reputational. You might be able to think of a time when you just had to wear the cost of some damage to your reputation because of not anything that maybe you did. It happens in ministry quite a lot. It's happening in the church at the moment. People just having to wear a bit of reputational cost because people don't actually understand what's going on elsewhere behind the scenes. There's a public story, but there's a lot more that other people don't know. Perhaps you've experienced that in your working life. You absorb the cost yourself. The debt doesn't vanish. Someone has to pay. Someone has to absorb this cost. But nevertheless, the king wipes this 
made the slate uh, clean. He doesn't, he doesn't reduce the debt. He doesn't delay the debt. He doesn't give him a little bit more time. He doesn't give him 12 easy repayment steps. No, he just he cancels the debt. And this is what forgiveness is all about, is to cancel the debt. When we've wronged someone and they choose to forgive us, they are in essence saying to us, I cancel your debt. Your slate has been wiped clean as far as I'm concerned. You owe me nothing. I release you from ever having to pay me back. What I also want you to see here is that this servant did nothing to deserve, as far as we know, did nothing to deserve this tremendous act of graciousness. It was purely an act of, of grace on the part of the king. So, with this incredibly fortunate turn of events, this incredibly liberated servant runs off and bumps into another servant that owes him some money. Now, in the text, it's 100 denarii. Now, what I also want you to know is that this also is not an insignificant amount of money. Right? It's not some spare change. It's not like, you know, I shouted, you know, shout Alex at, at dinner at East League's club and next... No, 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 it's, this is, this is going to hurt. Right? He, to go without this amount of money would have hurt the guy. He would have noticed it. Right? He's not talking spare change. This, again, is. Is an amount of money you, he, would have, he would have hurt to have gone without it. But of course, it pales into insignificance compared to the debt that he has been released from. But instead of cancelling his fellow servant's debt, he grabs him, begins, begins to choke him and says, pay back everything you owe me. And I think we're a little bit like this. We're supposed to be seeing ourselves in this character. When someone does something wrong, we want to see them punish. You want to see them pay for the damage that they've caused, for the grief that they've caused. Jesus continues the parable by telling us that this man also fell to his knees and begged for forgiveness. You're supposed to see that the wording here is very similar to this own man's stance before the king. There's a very close parallel here in these two different events. But instead of forgiving uh, the wrong, forgiving out of, out of gratitude for the colossal debt that he's been forgiven, he has the man thrown in prison until he could pay off the debt. Church, we are this man when we don't forgive those around us. We enjoy people putting people in prison for the things that they've wronged us for. We want them to suffer, to hurt as they've hurt us. I think we put people in prison in various ways, don't we? We might put them in prison with our words launch a verbal assault, or we might even just use the, the silent treatment, perhaps imprison them in a, in a cone of silence. Perhaps you're holding someone in prison right now, trying to make them feel miserable, perhaps, determined to punish them for something that they've said or, or done. That describes you, then let's pick up the story again to see, to see what happens. Now, someone saw what had happened and they report it to the king. Well, the king is not happy, of course. The king realises something about this man's character at this point. The king was, was gracious, but at this point he realises that yeah, there's something going on in this, man's, in this man's heart. He doesn't like what he sees. He has the man brought back into him for a dressing down. You wicked servant, says the king. 
I canceled this debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? This guy's been forgiven a king's ransom. Shouldn't he have done the same for the bloke that owed him some money? So the story ends with him being thrown into jail, being tortured until he can repay his debt, which, of course, he could never do. Jesus really drives the point home here too, by the way, with that final sentence, final sort of word. He says, this is how your heavenly Father will treat you if you don't forgive your brother or sister in your heart. Jesus is saying that an unforgiving heart yields to an eternal punishment. Jesus is saying when you've closed your heart off to those in need, that it actually is a sign that you've closed off your heart to me. The king is saying that the fact that you didn't open up your heart and have mercy on your fellow servant proves that you didn't really ever open your heart to my mercy, to my grace. What he's saying here is if you don't show grace to your brother or sister, to your neighbour, that it's a sign that in your heart you've never really been open to my grace, to God's grace. An illustration might be a, a fruit tree. Now, a fruit tree can live without bearing fruit. A fruit tree doesn't need the fruit in order to live. But the fruit is a sign of a healthy tree. The fruit is the point of of a fruit tree. It's what Jesus is saying here. There's no better way to tell whether or not you've got a real relationship with him, with God, than on the basis of whether or not it shows up in terms of fruitfulness in your life, fruit like forgiveness. You and I have been forgiven an, an insurmountable, an, uh, an infinite debt, one that we could never hope to repay. You and I are like that first servant. He thus should have been gracious to everybody that he encountered, and so too the hard reality of this parable, of this story, is so should we. Jailers and the torturers will come and take us away if we don't extend that same sort of forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Now, that's an interesting term. It's a harsh term from Jesus. What torturers? What jailers is he talking about? Well, can I suggest to you, for a start, the jailers and, and torturers of, of anger, of bitterness, that will eat away at us. The jailers and torturers of frustration and and malice that will burden us, weigh us down in our hearts. The hidden torturers that will keep us awake at, at night, stewing over that thing, stewing over that wrong that was done to us. The torture of an unforgiving heart can suck joy out of life, can't it? Often when we try to punish or imprison those who have hurt us, actually the reverse will happen, won't it? I think we can all understand this. When we don't forgive, actually, it's, we're the ones that end up being tortured. We lock ourselves in a prison of our own unforgiving heart. We set up our own little internal concentration camp, if you will. In keeping someone hostage under lock and key, so too we are held captive. We're held there to be their jailer. You lock yourself in a jail of your own anger. That's the problem with keeping someone under lock and key in your heart. You've got to remain there to be their jailer, to make sure they don't get out. A well-known Christian author by the name of Lewis Seeds Smeeds said this. He says, 
when I genuinely forgive, I set a prisoner free, but listen to this, and then discover that the prisoner I set free was me. In short, to forgive is to give grace to one another and to give freedom to ourselves. If you believe that the gospel, but you hold on to a, a grudge, I think you're actually blocking the gospel effect in your life. You're actually setting up a jail of your own making. I read this week of a man who refused to let his own kids, his teenagers, go to the local church youth group because his old man, his father, had forced him to go to church as a kid and he grew angry and bitter and resentful. And so as a way of punishing his father, long since dead, as a way of punishing his father, he refused to let his own children have anything to do with the church. Can you see that this man was in fact still being controlled by his father? Frederick Beekner is a wonderful Christian author. He, he died recently, he, but he wrote this. He said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is probably the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue at the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savour that last toothsome morsel, morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are going to give back. And in many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. He writes, the skeleton at the feast is you. So like this unforgiving servant in this story, we stand before a holy God as impoverished bankrupts. That's really our standing before God. Our sins are like a multi-billion dollar debt we could never hope to repay, and yet out of compassion, God sent his son to pay our debts, to wipe our slate clean. The hugeness of this debt from this story illustrates the enormity of our sin, so to its cancellation, represents God's amazing grace to us. So we have been forgiven so much. Shouldn't we therefore go out and practice forgiveness in our own relationships? That's the moral of this story. Do you need to let someone go, release someone from the prison of your own heart this week is the challenge I'd like to leave you with. Are you tired of being someone's jailer, perhaps? Need to set them free? Can I encourage you, if that's you, to release them, to let go of that debt, to restore that relationship by passing on the grace that's been shown to you so in such extravagant proportions by God? C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You like that? Finally, let me leave you with one last observation from this passage, from this text that you might not have seen unless you're digging into your commentaries and having studying the original, the original Greek. By far the word that is used most often for Jesus in his own emotional Life was this word we find in verse 27, if you've got it open in front of you. Uh, it says that he had pity on the man, or you might read it, his heart went out to the man. The king's heart went out to the man that owed him this $100 billion dollar debt. This is the word that is used of Jesus more than 
anything else when it comes to Jesus' own emotions. He wore it as his, it was his badge. Jesus' heart went out to the people around him. And on the cross, his heart went out to you and I. His heart goes out to us. On the cross, he took your penalty for you. The only way you and I can ever hope to stop choking those around us, those who have wronged us, is by being melted by the beauty of a king who became a servant. Amen. May the mathematics of your grace this week be as boundless as the boundlessly gracious God that we worship. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a a difficult task. It's a difficult calling, a difficult passage, a difficult teaching from Jesus. Help us to let go of our anger and thereby free ourselves, thereby exhibit the same sort of graciousness that you have showered upon us. Give us strength, bravery, and wisdom. Father, we pray that you might help us to know where to indeed to not allow ourselves to be used or abused, but to simply extend grace and forgiveness as far as it depends on us. May your mercy, may your grace be evident in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, the people said, Amen. We're going